Good morning. We take for granted the opportunity we have to come together and find encouragement with each other and then encouragement from a God that loves us so deeply. And uh, that's the kind of song I think, you know, why don't, we just, why don't we just keep singing that? Because it's a song of utter dependence on God that we need him. He's our one defense and he's our righteousness. And uh, thank you for being here this morning. I realize that in your minds are a lot of things that's going on, um, prayer requests and good things that happened this week, many of us trials. Um, but yet we come together, why? It, it's, it's kind of a weird concept that we suspend everything and we set aside our minds to come together to uh, fellowship with each other, to worship God. So thank you for being here. Um, and uh, just, just last night, we had two phone calls within 20 minutes of each other. One was my stepdad, who was 90, just about 90, and he fell on his face and was in the hospital um, with a potential broken nose. And the other was my mother-in-law, who, who was in the hospital in ICU right now because of an intense infection in her intestines, which has spread to her pancreas. Um, <clears throat> her pancreas is shutting down. So it's just, uh, you know, I'd love to just sit here and just kind of read the Psalms with one another and the Proverbs encourage each other. Um, and we should be encouraged because God is using... Grace Point Church do some incredible things. And, you know, I know it says pride goes before fall, but, but let us be encouraged for a moment, all the things that God is doing. Think about where you were five years ago, three years ago, two years ago, maybe in a year ago, as far as your desire to live out Christ in your neighborhood, among your coworkers, among your family. And we've, this together initiative that we have in our community, there's just some really neat things that are happening. And I know Tim did this a couple months ago, and he just wanted you to zoom out a little bit, and, and he didn't use that phrase. That's, that's my outer body experience phrase. Just zoom out and just look and say, wow, God, thank you for, for finding us faithful, for desiring to use us to make a difference. You should know, by the way, and this is, I'm a little bragging if I can for a second, that the uh, middle school principal and I have written a chapter in a book called From Vision to Action. And they asked us to do it because of what's going on in our community. They said, what you guys have done, you've taken something everybody wants to do, and and your community's figured out how to do it. And that's kind of cool. Um, and uh, a lot of what Grace Point is doing and has been leading the way is in that book. So it's not about us. It's about what God's doing, but we should be encouraged. But the moment we get content, the moment we stop and say, wow, we're doing a great job, is uh, the moment we start heading the wrong direction. So unfortunately for me and for you, um, this is not going to be an encouraging message. It's going to be a challenging one. Um, and I hope when it's all said and done, you leave here thinking, okay, God, you've used us to do incredible things, but the work's not done. There's more for us to do. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning. Lord, we, we recognize that we do need you. And we need you for, for everything, God. And, and sometimes you place situations in our path to remind us of that. Forgive us, God, for thinking that we could live the Christian life without you, without you as our defense, without you as our righteousness. God, and forgive us for thinking that we can reach out to those in need in our community, in our neighborhoods without you, because it is all about you, God. And I pray this morning that you would encourage us and at the same time challenge us, God, to be more about what you want us to be. God, we submit our plans, our agendas, our motives, Everything we have, we submit to you. 
and ask you to bring yourself on in glory, both in our minds this morning and then in our actions in the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Note to self, don't try to cover up your microphone and cough because it'll make a loud shrill to everybody else. I think I got that. All right. Think about the moment where you were, we use the phrase, saved, where you accepted Christ. The moment where you realized that I need God in my life, I can't do it without him. You might have been three, four, 30, 40, but think about that moment if you can. Or think about that moment where, where you said, you know what, God, I want you to use me to do great things. Maybe it was in college where you had energy. Maybe it was last year. But think about one of those two times, a time in your life where you said, I'm ready, God. In the spirit of D.O. Moody, when somebody said, imagine what God could do in this world with one man who totally commits his life to him. And you said, man or woman, God, let that be me. Got that in your mind, that excitement? You know, they say that it's so exciting to, to be around new Christians because they don't have obstacles and they're bold and, and they just are free to share. But something happens. Something happens years later where we no longer want to change the world for God. Now, now maybe we do, but you know, we settle in. Kind of like that video. Other things become more important. Other things take our focus. Why is it that at some point the luster, the newness of serving a God who's ready to use us to change the world kind of wears off? We no longer have that same desire to get messy as the video showed spiritually, socially, 
physically, in any way possible. We stop caring about what Jesus cares about. We stop putting others first and look out for ourselves, especially those in need. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of pejorative comments right now in your mind. You're saying, oh, Chuck, come on, another sermon where you challenge us about caring for those in need. Yes, that's it. <laughs> you peg it, that's what this is about. Because, you know, when we think about people in poverty, we, we have all bought into some, some myths. Things that, that, if I'd be honest, I myself believed and sometimes still do. They are things that I'm convinced that are absolutely wrong, but yet they're part of, of a hardwired into us when we think about somebody less fortunate or struggling, dealing with this or poverty, we think about. Some of those things are, we think about poverty is purely not having enough money. We think about people, and I don't know why these are here, I'm just going to put them on. <laughs> Someday I will get used to this. People in poverty are primarily there because of bad choices they've made. I mean, we look at them, we say, well, if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be in poverty. If people were not lazy, they wouldn't be poor because a hardworking person is never poor. People are in poverty because they just want handouts. They don't want to do it themselves, they want somebody else to do it. These are all things that, if, if we'd be honest, when we look at people dealing with poverty, when we hear situations, we tend to believe those. But what does God say about poverty, about helping people in poor? Jonathan Edwards says, there's nothing clear in the Bible mentioned more often or stronger than the church's duty to care for the poor. Listen to some of these verses. Proverbs 21, 13, if a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. And note the strong language in Proverbs 28, 27. He who closes his eyes to the poor receives many curses. Among the sins of Sodom described in Genesis 19, one of those mentioned is that they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Then you don't think about Sodom and Gomorrah that way. You think about them as just a wild lifestyle where anything goes and perverting sexuality in the worst way. But yet when God thinks about them, one of the things he says is they did not take care of the poor and needy. If you have your Bibles, we're not going to spend much time here, but if you would turn to uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 22. In this passage, God is speaking to Josiah, King Josiah of Judah, his son. As you know, Josiah was a great king and reformer, and he's speaking to his son here. And he says, starting in verse 15, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Now, you can read these verses. I have read these verses many times, and, and they didn't really jump out on me until I started working at the factory, I guess, because I look at things differently. And in this passage, God is saying to the king of Judah, to look after the poor and needy is what it means to know God. Now let that marinate just for a quick second. That means that if I say I want to know God, I want to know Christ, 
then I have to take care of the poor and needy. They go hand in hand. It's a living God saying, this is what it means. If you know me, this is what you do. In Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there now, we'll be spending a little time here. And by the way, I lost my Bible, as some of you know, about a year ago. And so I, I, I'll tell you two things. One is I don't know if I've ever preached on this passage in the past. However, this sermon is a new one. So it's the same passage in the new sermon. Um, and it's a passage that we're all familiar with. And I'd like us to look here because what we see in this passage is how passionate God is with this whole concept of, of taking care of the poor and needy. In fact, what happens here is Jesus has gone through his, his wilderness you know, temptation experience, and he's come out of that victorious, and he makes his way, maybe not immediately, but soon after, makes his way into the temple. And he's about to unfold to the whole world on why Jesus, why he has come to this earth. And so it would be important for us to kind of zoom in and hear from Jesus himself, this is what I'm all about. So he says in chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God Almighty has sent his son down to earth to say, okay, here's what I'm all about. And look at that passage again. Go ahead and just browse through those. See what he's about? God cares so much about those that are struggling with poverty, those that find themselves poor and needy, who are oppressed, who are weighed down, who are brokenhearted. He cares so much for them that he sent Jesus down here to take care of them, to provide a better way of life for them. But I wonder what, um, what the religious leaders were thinking when, when Jesus spoke these things. Now, I don't know. My guess is there were some that weren't thinking anything because they didn't know anything about him. But there were some that were like, hey, wasn't this the same guy that, you know, and start putting the piece together. And perhaps the world was ready for a savior. Perhaps some of them were sitting there thinking, ah, this is it, because this guy is going to help us overthrow the Roman government. And they were ready for it. When Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and like, yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it, to take down the Romans. But he doesn't say that. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And maybe like, ah, here's what it is. He's going to thank us for following the law so to a T and just living that kind of righteous life that, that we have done everything the Torah and the prophets have told us to do. Yes. And he doesn't. Perhaps they're saying, you know, when he says the spirit of the Lord, of the Lord is upon me, they're thinking, okay, I know this one. He's going he's gonna to finally figure out and give us the solution for all the debates that we're having, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. When is the end times? Is the church raptured first? Are we going to go through the tribulation? And, and maybe there's some there that that was their filter. And like, oh, this is it. He's going to finally set the record straight. But he doesn't. In fact, what he says has nothing to do with religion. It was not a message for religious people. You see, religion is for those who think they can bring something to God for his approval and therefore increase their status. Religion as for those who think they can bring something to God for his approval and so increase their status. The gospel is for those whose society will throw away because they have nothing to offer the world or God. And in Luke 4, we see a window into what Jesus was all about. We get a front row glimpse as to what is important to God, important enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. 
And it's a stark contrast, by the way, to what the religious people thought of that day and also of our day. You see, in this passage, we see Jesus offering an alternative to the religious system. If you look at these verses, you'll see that religion says, you must bring something to me in order for me to accept you. But the gospel says, if you have nothing, then come to me. Religion says you need to pay a price for your sin. The gospel says if you are bound because of your sin, I offer you freedom. Religion says you need to see it my way or there's no hope for you. The gospel says there is hope for those who cannot see clearly. Religion says you need to take on more and more and more in order to keep your standing in my eyes. But the gospel says I can take the weight of the world off your shoulders. Religion says, I'll accept you if you do the right things and you do enough of them. But the gospel says, I accept you because of what Jesus has done. Now, if I go through that list again, can you relate to any of these? For example, have you ever felt like I have to bring more and more to God for him to accept me? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like because you've done something wrong, now you need to pay the price? And I'm not talking about the natural consequence of your sin, but somehow God is going to make your day more miserable because you did something wrong. And now he's kind of got a, you know, an X on you, maybe two X's, God forbid, three, you know, and he's about to kind of judge you for what you did. Have you ever felt That there is no hope for you because you can't measure up to what religion says is what you should do? Have you ever felt like you need to do more and more and more because you have to measure up and have a good standing in people's eyes, in the church's eyes? So if I don't help with blast, then somehow they're just going to think, wow, what's wrong with you? Now, you should help with blast, and you'll hear that at the end of the message. If I don't do this, if I don't do that, or if every time the church doors are open, they see me volunteering, they're going to think, wow, boy, he's, he's, a, he's a great person. This past week at the office, we, we debated and struggled with this, the phrase spiritually mature. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? Oftentimes it means that I do more and more in the church. And then people will look at me and think, wow, he's a great person or she's a great person. Do you ever feel like you're not accepted because you can't measure up to other people's standards. If you feel any of these things, if you've ever said, you know, that yes, I feel that and therefore I need to change something, then you've listened to the voice of religion and not the voice of the gospel. Because the gospel says you have nothing to bring to me. So just come as you are. And it's not based on you, it's based on me. And that's what Jesus offered in an era where the religious system was making it harder and harder and harder for people to live and do the right thing and to live in that kind of freedom and to feel that sense of relationship with God. Jesus interjects and he says, no, this is this is what it's all about. And it was all about coming alongside people who felt they had nothing to offer this world and to give them hope and life. The gospel was for those whose society would throw away because they have nothing to offer the world or God. It was a message for the poor, for the prisoners, for the blind, for the oppressed. It was a message 
for anyone who felt that they were hopeless and had nothing to give. No wonder God says to the king of Judah, is this not what it means to know me? Because God cared so passionately about people in need that he sent his son to this earth for people in need. It's not the sick who need a doctor, the scriptures say. I'm sorry, it's not the, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Even Jesus himself emptied up all that he had and became nothing, took the very nature of a slave, born into poverty and even died naked on the cross. And so at the end of Luke chapter 4, when he sits down, it says all the eyes are on him. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That doesn't mean much to us. Some may paraphrase it in the Chuck Hold version. What it really says is, what are you staring at? You think I'm joking about this? I'm serious. In fact, I'm so serious that just consider it done already because this is what's going to happen. And all through Jesus' life, you study the Gospels, you'll see that. He spent his whole time taking care of the blind, the lame, the lepers, the prostitutes, the outcasts, the demon-possessed, the hated, the children who were in the way. And time after time, the religious leaders brought to Jesus people and said, condemn them, condemn them, condemn them. Try to say that fast three times. Condemn them. And Jesus said, no, go and sin no more. No, here's what I give you. No, I'm going to do this for you. Because that was what his mission was all about. The good news of Christ was a gospel to those who were struggling with various kinds of poverty. To the poor, to the downcast, to the brokenhearted by the weight of the world and rejected. And at one point, it was a gospel for me and you. Because we were there. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't look down and say, Greg Petersheim, he doesn't really need me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for him anyway. Just in case he might decide that maybe, you know, I could benefit him. No. He looked down and he said, Greg Petersheim, boy, he's a mess. I'm getting him back for the bike ride yesterday, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and he looked down and he saw Chuck Holt and he says, oh, boy, that guy's a loser. He looked down at every one of us and he said, boy, you're a, what they call today a hot mess. And you are so in desperate need of a savior. Because we buy into very young age religion and we think that that's how it happens. It is the formula. In fact, when I was a kid, we used to sing a song in Sunday school, read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Now hear me out. And those of you who are going to listen to this later, don't turn it off yet. Yes, if you read your Bible, and yes, if you pray, yes, you will grow. But you can read your Bible, and you can pray, and never grow. Because it's not about the system, it's about the relationship. And so at some point, this gospel for those in poverty, this gospel for those who were brokenhearted, who were poor, who were imprisoned, who were distraught, was a gospel for Chuck. And what changed? Do I still need the gospel? Am I still in need of a savior? Because sometimes we think that the gospel is for somebody else. When I was a kid, we also sang, Jesus loves the little ones like me, me, me. You ever sang that as a kid? And you point yourself, me, me, me. Well, some along the line, we grow up and we start singing, Jesus loves the little ones like them, them, them. 
and we forget that it's a gospel for us. Because we have dimmed the voice, the true voice of the good news of the gospel. And we've listened to the voice of a religious system that weighs us down, that binds us instead of setting us free. The gospel is not for those who are trying to figure it out for themselves and make life work. The gospel is not for people who do not even need Jesus. I spoke with a man not too long ago who was really honest. And he said to me, he was going through a crisis, and he said to me, in in total transparency, he looks me in the eyes and he says, Chuck, I don't need Jesus. That's the conclusion I've come to. I got all the money I need. Whatever could happen financially, I can make it. I have the support system. I have a lot of family and a lot of friends. I can lean on. I have all the things that anyone would need to make it through this life. And I realize in this moment that I've created a world where I don't need Jesus. And there's something wrong with that. And when I heard him, I want you to know that I didn't think, boy, you are good for nothing. The gospel is wasted on you. I thought, how have I done that? And I ask you, have you done that? Have we created a world where we do not need Jesus? Where we're not desperately depending on him? We sing it on a Sunday morning, Lord, I need you. But how does that manifest itself in the rest of our week? Now, please know that I'm not trying to beat you up. There's encouragement at the end of this message. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to beat myself up. But I think it's good for us to do introspection because this was something God was so passionate about that he says, if you want to know me, then you need to be taking care of those in need. And why am I talking about those in poor needy? Because it is us. It is me. That is me. I haven't arrived and now I can go help somebody else. I'm still there. And I would suggest that all of us are still there. I would suggest that when we read this passage in Luke, we say, huh, awesome. He said he came for all these people. He came for me. Can you imagine how that would change your day? That the God of the universe sent his son, Jesus Christ, to offer hope to you? I mean, let it, let it change your day. Let it change your expression. The gospel was for you. The gospel was for me. And when we live that way, that I'm not up here and those in need are down here, something we say, if I may say this, we say in the factory, we're all one decision away from crapping in a bucket. And I don't have time to explain what that means, but it means that I'm not up here and, and people in poverty that are, that are messed up are down here. I'm down there with them. And we all need the good news of the gospel to, to change our lives and to give us hope. And we want to undo the shackles of religion that says you have to do it this way or I'm not pleased with you. And we want to come to know Christ in a new way every single day. Not just the moment we accepted Christ and we inherited eternal life, but the opportunity to know him every single day so that, put these on, so that he can preach to us the good news, that he can proclaim freedom to us, that he can recover our sight and release those of us who are oppressed. So how do you view the gospel this morning? We cannot come to Jesus offering our best as the way. We must come to him with nothing to offer and in desperate need of a savior. It says that he came to seek and save those who are lost. That's me, that's you. 
He didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. The passage where it says, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. You see how interconnected God's passion is with those who are in need? 1 John 3, 17 and 18, this is God's word. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's not me. That's God. If you have and you find somebody who has not and you don't do anything to help them, then how can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So what do we take away from this this morning? First of all, we need to ask ourselves three questions. One, am I living out the gospel or the cheap imitation of religion? Do I see myself in desperate need of a savior and I can't live without him? Or do I even see myself as on the road of trying to figure it out and make it work and plugging in the formulas and growing close to God and looking good in people's eyes and really developing my little spiritual perch that I can sit on and feel good about my life. Two, am I sharing the true good news of the gospel with those in need? In other words, am I calling them to that gospel or am I calling them to religion? Am I calling them to a set of rules? Am I calling them to a to a formula that they need to follow in order to find standing in God? Do I look at them and treat them as if they're less than me because they haven't adopted the same standards that I have? So question number one is, am I living out the gospel in my life or a cheap imitation of religion? Am I sharing the good news of the gospel? And am I ready to change the world? Or am I too comfortable? Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, we, we had these books that we would take our ministry team students through called The Ten Challenges of a World Changer. And that book would challenge them to, to go out there in their public schools and their families and their friends and their worlds and really be a world changer, to be radical for Jesus. And one day as we were going through this book and as I was challenging them, I thought, whoa, I am challenging them to be a world changer and I'm not a world changer because I had described my life this way, that I was a youth pastor, you know, and if, and if our youth ministry was an army, I was about 50 rows back and just sitting up and watching. And at that point in my life, and I'm not saying everybody should do this, I said, God, I need a change of career. I need to get out of the system and I wanna be on the front lines. And that was, the, that was the, when the wheels started turning to say, what else could I do to spend a life in ministry but be a world changer. Now, it's not about me. I'm, I got a long ways to go. So don't look at me and say, wow, he's our example. No, 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 no. Just follow me around for a week. What I'm getting at is this. I want to live my life to say, God, I want to change the world. But that means that I have to stop being comfortable. I'm not saying that I can't enjoy the things of this world, but they can never make me comfortable. Otherwise, that video becomes me. So I said two things. One is to ask yourself these three questions. And the second one is, why 
Wanting to take care of the poor and needy is not an option. It's a requirement. When Jesus left this earth, he said, go and do what I did. What did he do? Well, he got up early in the morning and he went to church and he took the kids to Sunday school and he taught in junior church and he signed up for blast and no, 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 no. What he did was walk this earth and got messy. He rolled up his financial sleeves, his social sleeves, his emotional sleeves, relational sleeves, and got messy because he cared about people. And if I'm going to say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then it's not something that I can think about doing. It's something I must do. In Jeremiah 22, God is speaking to the king of Judah. And he says, is it not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. There really wasn't an answer to be given. It was kind of rhetorical. To know God means to care for those in need. Why do I care for those in need? Because I'm in need myself. And the gospel that is for them is also for me. And if the, gospel, the good news of the gospel is not changing me, then I'm not going to have anything to offer to change other people. And if I allow the voice of religion to get so loud in my head that the good news is, is, is muted out, then I will look at people as if they're down here and I'm up here and I will try to change them and make them conform to a standard. And so what I want to encourage you with, if I can, is God is doing great things through the life of Grace Point Church, through the life of the people in this room. But there's so much more that he wants us to do. And before you leave overwhelmed, you get the counter and think, oh, Chuck, come on, this isn't about false guilt. I'm not even asking you to do something new. I'm asking you to think about where am I in my life and how can I tweak it a little bit to use what I have or where I'm at or what I'm doing to share the good news of the gospel. So maybe you help with blast, not because it's going to look good, but maybe because you have a passion for children. If you can't stand children, don't help with blast. I had a youth pastor once say to me, I hate teenagers. I'm like, you probably ought to resign. <laughs> and if you love teenagers, by the way, then there's some up here and there's others that could use help. If you live in the Peckway Valley community, then you can come alongside what this church is doing and, and the factory, and there's all kinds of ways in which you can reach out. If you live in Garden Spot School District, there's the Cross Connection Ministries and the Elenco Social Services Network and a whole slew of churches there that are trying to reach out and be the hands and feet of Christ. If you live in the Quarryville area, there's the Selenco Ministerium that is meeting together and saying, how can we help people in our community? Maybe you can be part of that team. If you live in Strasburg, the Strasburg Ministerium, I just met with them two weeks ago, and they're like, we want to help people, we want to do it in the right way. And maybe you can be a part of uh, making a difference in the LS School District. I could keep going. If you live in the Conestoga Valley School District, then there's the Conestoga Valley uh, Christian, CBCCC, something like that. And that is reaching out to what we're kind of doing here and is trying to do it in the CV School District. There's all kinds of opportunities for you that exist. I mean, Lancaster County has a plethora of organizations that give you the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. If you live in a city, there's the Lancaster County Council of Churches, there's Water Street, there's Tabor, there's, there's the homeless shelters, there's all kinds of things. But here's what I want to leave you with. Whether it's 
helping with blasts, which there's a need for it, or whether it's volunteering to be involved in a cooking class at the factory, or whether it's going to an organization or community and say, what is your greatest need? Or whether it's just getting down on your knees and being a prayer warrior, it isn't an option for us. We're mandated if we call ourselves children of God to live this way. God cared enough about those in need that he sent his son to this earth to proclaim that good news. At one point, it was good news for us. And I'm going to suggest it still is. And when it becomes good news to me, then it will become good news to others. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning that we can be here. God, we, we do fall desperately short. And there is a component of, even as I speak, I feel like I'm not doing enough. And God, that is just the voice of religion of telling me to do more and more and more. Teach us how to, to discern these voices, God. Teach us how to understand what it means to buy into, to, to grab a hold of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it would so change who we are and why we do what we do and how we do what we do, God, that that good news would overflow into those all around us. In Jesus' name, amen.